0: W-D-B-M, East Lansing.
1: Welcome to the Sci-Files, an Impact 89FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boodoo
0: and Daniel Puentes.
1: Hey Danny, did you know that the earliest archaeological evidence of fermentation was around 13,000 years ago in Israel?
0: So it sounds like people have been brewing beer for a long time then.
1: Yeah, around 5,000 years ago. The workers in the city of Uruk were paid by their employees in beer.
0: Huh, I wish the station paid me in beer.
1: Yeah, the history of beer is pretty cool. In Mesopotamia, early evidence of beer is around 4,000 years ago, and they have the oldest surviving beer recipe. Today we're here with Aaron Staples to talk about his research about beer.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Hey Aaron, what do you particularly study with beer?
2: So I really look at the value chain of
0: beer, so starting from the farm and moving to the pint for the final consumer. This is the first time that we've ever mentioned value chain on this show. Could you explain what value chain means? What I mean by value chain is just looking at, from the farm,
2: where the food actually originates. Because consumers, they typically think of just the final product of food, so they just see it come to their plate. They don't think about the bigger picture of where the food actually comes from. So I look at the step-by-step process in which the food, or in this case the beer, goes from the agricultural input of hops and barley into the beer.
1: What are some of the things I go into the process of this?
2: It starts on the farm where the hops and the barley is grown. Hops are harvested, sent to the processor where they're dried and pelletized, so they're turned into Basically, they look like rabbit food, and this is what the brewer actually uses in their brewing. The barley, on the other hand, needs to be what's called malted, so it needs to be germinated and dried. Then it is capable of being used in the brewing process. From there, the brewer goes through their entire process where they're actually brewing the beer, where it's milled, uh, turned into wort, uh, unfermented liquid, then it's fermented for a period of time before it's actually conditioned to be consumed by the consumer.
0: Yeah, not many people actually realize the immense complexity that actually goes into making nice pints that we get to enjoy on a nice summer afternoon. How does your research inform the value chain in the first place?
2: I personally look at is two specific stages in this value chain. So my first research project was on sustainability in the brewing process. So brewing beer is a very water and energy intensive process that generates a great deal of solid waste. This is especially true for craft brewers and there's now over 8,000 craft breweries in the country. So it takes about seven barrels of water to one barrel of beer. takes about 80 kilowatt hours of energy per barrel of beer and each barrel of beer generates nearly 280 pounds of solid waste. 280 pounds. That's a great deal of just Byproducts. So, what I'm looking at is a lot of brewers are looking for ways to decrease their uh, carbon footprint and just their overall promoting sustainability. So, the biggest example would be Anheuser-Busch, brewers of Budweiser. So, what they've done recently is agreed to a partnership with a wind farm out of Oklahoma where they Purchased enough wind energy to brew 20 billion 12-ounce cans of Budweiser annually.
1: I don't know if you know this, but Michigan is ranked number five in the country for the most craft breweries. I'm wondering, do you look particularly at a certain area? Like, do you look at Michigan craft breweries?
2: In my most recent research project, we did. um, So this one has actually focused on brewer utilization of Michigan-grown hops. And what drives their decision to purchase michigan-grown hops because these local value chains that i was referring to consumers really like their local food and drink and local value chains have the potential to boost local state economies but when the local ag is an input to a final product such as hops for beer the consumer doesn't often see that happen so they see this local craft brewery but oftentimes they're not using local ingredients they're using Pacific Northwest hops, so this consists of Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, they produce 95% of the hops in the country. Those three states alone have over 57,000 acres devoted to hop production.
1: Is that because of the climate? Like, why don't other states have it?
2: Yes, that's exactly why. Basically, ever since really the Continental Railroad Um, all hop production shifted towards the Pacific Northwest. But now we're starting to see these smaller markets pop up. So now 29 states report some level of commercial hop production. Michigan is number four, making them the number one outside of the Pacific Northwest.
0: That doesn't surprise me that much that Michigan would be the next state that would be producing the most hops outside of the Pacific Northwest. How do consumers feel about sustainability practices being implemented into their craft breweries that exist
2: around them locally? So oftentimes consumers don't actually know that the brewery that they're buying their beer from is using these sustainability practices in their beer because there's just a lot of what's called information asymmetry. So the brewers know that they're engaging in these sustainability practices, but they're not actually telling the consumers that they're doing it. What my master's thesis looked at was how consumers would value these sustainability attributes in their beer if brewers marketed them in a way that they actually tell the consumers what they're doing. So what I wanted to look at is brewer utilization of different sustainability attributes in beer. So this includes water reduction, energy reduction and landfill diversion. And what a choice experiment does is it measures the trade-off that consumers make between certain attributes in their beer. So what I did was design this choice experiment where I asked consumers to pick between alternatives that vary with these different attributes. So for example, I would ask you to choose between beer A and beer B. Say beer A was a packaged in cans, it was locally brewed with water reduction technology priced at $9.99 per six-pack. But beer B was priced at $6.49 per six-pack, but it wasn't brewed with any of these sustainability attributes. It wasn't locally, uh, locally brewed, but it was packaged in, let's say, glass bottles. So based on how you respond to this choice experiment, this choice set where you choose beer A or beer B, I can go back and elicit your what's called willingness to pay. So how much do you actually value this attribute within your beer?
1: All right. It makes sense that the beer that is more sustainable will be a little bit more expensive because the brewery has to go through a few more efforts to create it. Since the brewery is going through all of that effort, I'm surprised that they're not actually advertising all those sustainable practices. Do you find that now they're starting to advertise it more or are there ways that people can advertise it more?
2: Yeah, so after Budweiser, like I mentioned recently and in invested in all that wind energy, they placed a 100% renewable electricity label on every single can and bottle of Budweiser. There's also a brewery out of Vermont called the Al- or Alchemist Brewing. They have a 100% solar powered brewery label on their cans as well. And it's also it doesn't necessarily need to be a new can design or a new just overall marketing strategy, but it's as simple as just post on social media. That's essentially free advertising for a wide consumer base, especially with the craft beer movement being among the younger generation who is socially media
0: driven. I think sustainable practices are important to advertise so that way people can have a better understanding of what the the breweries that they enjoy are doing to create the beer But out of all the sustainable practices that you had on your choice experiment, which ones did you find was the largest amount of willingness to pay for one of those choices? We do what's
2: called a latent class analysis, where we separate our consumer base into three different classes, and we separate them based on what's called like characteristics. So How are they similar? So we do different demographics, attitudes, and behaviors. And what we find is the people that are willing to pay the most for across the board for all the sustainability attributes are the ones that are variety-seeking beer buyers. So they like to try new beers that they had never bought before. And to answer your question, the water reduction appealed to the widest array of consumers. And we believe this is because it's a more salient thing So if I tell you how much water it takes to brew beer, and then I also tell you how much energy it takes to brew beer, it's much easier to visualize this quantity of water as opposed to, say, the quantity or the kilowatt hours of electricity that it takes to brew the beer.
1: So you've mentioned cans and bottles, water, and energy. Are there any other ways that breweries can practice sustainable measures?
2: So the landfill diversion is the other way to do this. Um, And by landfill diversion, this can mean uh, giving your local farmer your solid spent grain, which can be used as feed for your cattle or any other animals on your farm, as it's still pretty rich in protein. But it can also go back to the recycling rates. So breweries are actually heavily investing in using lightweight glass bottles, uh, investing in other recycling programs that help the recycling rate, to the point where now aluminum can packaging and glass bottle packaging are becoming pretty similar in terms of their environmental impact.
1: Earlier in this episode, you had mentioned that around 95% of hops are produced in the Pacific Northwest. And some of that is grown over here, like Michigan's the fourth state for it. Michigan is in a different region than the Pacific Northwest, obviously. And I would imagine that the hops would be tasting differently? How does that affect the brewers and their flavor profile and stuff like that?
2: Right. So that's actually something we're trying to look at now. It's a very understudied thing in the beer industry. It's called terroir. So it's very common in the wine industry, but understudied in the beer industry. Essentially what it means is the geographical location that something has grown affects the final sensory flavor profile of the product. What we ask in the paper that's in review, it's called Hopping on the Localness Craze, what Michigan brewers want from their state-grown hops, is that the local brewers want these locally unique cultivars. And one way to achieve this is through this aspect of terroir. So we actually just conducted a sensory tasting experiment And we're looking at the results now, but yeah, that is definitely something that we want to look at is just this aspect of terroir.
0: What does a sensory taste test even mean? Is that where you blindly taste different wines and try to guess what it is, like you do at a winery or what? What we did is we had
2: four different beers, beers A, B, C, and D, and yeah, it's essentially An exactly blind taste test where we ask you to rank different sensory attributes within each beer. So with the craft beer movement, beers are often defined as florally or piney or citrusy. So we ask you to rank the different profiles of those beers. And what our job is now to do is to find out if the hops that are grown in the Pacific Northwest versus the ones that are grown in Michigan produce a different flavor profile.
0: How can you control for the different types of beers that exist, though? Because there's IPAs, there's stouts, and even within all of those different classes of beers, you can have different notes that come from the hops alone. So how do you control for all of that?
2: Right, so we had one brewer. He was generous enough to brew us our beer. We then moved that beer to smaller batches, so it's all coming from the same actual batch of beer. And what we do is called dry hopping. So it's essentially just adding these hops into the different barrels of beer, really the sub-barrels of beer. So they're all from the one class of beer divided into four different beers. So that's really the only thing differing between the four beers. And that way we can actually control for all of that. It was just an APA, so American Pale Ale.
1: Thinking about what different flavor profiles that people like, I'm wondering, do you happen to know what kind of beer is trending right now?
2: So the actual beer that's trending right now is actually not a beer at all. So that would be hard seltzer. Hard seltzer's taken up a pretty solid chunk of beer sales currently. So that really boosted last summer was when the sales of seltzer really took off. And you would expect it's a light, refreshing beverage The sales would die off in the wintertime, but we're not actually seeing that happen. They they still account for about 5% of total tracked beer sales. Um, Another trend that has really taken off is the low-cal and low-to-no ABV movement.
1: And what does that mean?
2: So just a lower alcohol content or lighter calories, so consumers want this fit beer
0: when... I don't know. It's still alcohol. I don't know how fit it can be. Maybe it's trying to paint an illusion that if you drink this lighter beer, you'll not gain as much weight. Oh, yeah. If you look at the Michelob Ultra commercials, it's
2: promoted as a post-workout shake kind of thing. Social environment, post-workout social gathering.
0: Which is absolutely ridiculous.
2: But... It has worked. Michelob Ultra has actually been the hotspot for Anheuser-Busch right now. In a time where Bud Light sales and Budweiser sales are decreasing, Michelob Ultra sales have increased exponentially over the
0: last few years. So their marketing scheme is actually working really well. Very well.
1: I guess there's a negative stigma behind all of that where people are thinking like, oh, you get fat from beer, like a beer belly. Maybe people are also interested in the price like could it be that it's cheaper whenever it's a lower alcohol content
2: Uh, so the brewing costs are really pretty similar the production costs of making those beers are pretty much dead on so it doesn't really affect the
0: price of the beer well we can't finish this interview without asking you what your favorite type of beer is and if you even brew beer yourself oh i'm an ipa guy all the way
2: Uh, my first Homebrew, yes, I do in fact homebrew, was a West Coast-style IPA. So it was floral on the front, but very, very bitter on the back end. I call it the laid-back lumberjack.
0: And what does that mean to be have a flavor in the front and a flavor in the back? So when you're drinking the beer, right
2: when the the first sip, it's kind of smooth and mellow, and then it just kind of bites on the back end
1: what does it mean to be a style of a type of beer isn't an IPA just an IPA
2: west coast style IPA is really just meaning that bitterness in the beer and it initially came from the cascade hop which became the face of the craft beer movement around the 1990s
0: thank you Aaron for coming to join us to talk to us about the beer that you brew as well as how you research how the beer is making impacts in today's society Uh, hopefully one of these days we can beer with you in the future. Yeah, thanks so much for
2: having me. I know this is a little bit of a change-up for you guys, going to an economist speaking. Um, But yeah, thanks again for having me. It was awesome.
0: The Sci-Files is hosted by Chelsea Boodoo and Daniel Puentes for Impact 89FM. Thank you to our news director, Sophie Sagan, program director, Amber Kandutsky, Station Manager Joe Dandron, and General Manager Jeremy Whiting.
1: This show, as well as the entire Impact 89FM podcast lineup, can be found online at impact89fm.org or by searching for the Sci-Files on your favorite podcast directory. If you're an MSU student and want to be featured on the Sci-Files, or if you have any questions, you can contact us at sci at impact89fm.org.
0: See you next week on Sci-Files. Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth is in the science.